It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Come every soul, my sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. Save you, he will save you, he will save you now. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Taking the Lord at His word. Almighty God, you've called us to just take you at your word. I ask today you would quicken this in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Be manifest now amongst us. I pray in your holy name. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6, we find this statement. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It does not say, and without hard work, it's impossible to please God. It does not say without being smart, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say that. It makes this astounding statement, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It does not say without obedience, it's impossible to please God. It's without faith. Today I want you to understand beyond any question what faith is and what faith is not. Many today are lying about what faith is. They're ascribing to it some kind of magical power. Faith has no power. It's the person in whom we place our faith that has the power. Faith are the hands with which we reach out and receive from God what he desires to give to us. Now, if you have no hands to reach out, you will not receive what God is trying to give you. So let's define faith very carefully. The scripture in Hebrews 11, verse 1, says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's a very difficult translation. I've read it many times, and it's just been nonsense to my ears. Now give me something that makes sense to me, please. Let me give you the definition that I think is a better translation of the Greek than the NIV gives us because it breaks it down and makes it very simple for us. Faith gives reality or substance to things hoped for. Faith gives reality or substance to things hoped for. Faith is what gives the force of reality to what I believe. I'm going to go out after the service is completed. I'm going to take these keys out of my pocket. 
I'm going to sit down in my car. I'm going to turn this key on. And when I turn it on, I know without any question that motor is going to begin. It's going to rumble to life. I'm going to drive out of the parking lot. I know my car is going to work. I have faith that it is going to work. So you are not going to see me go out to the car and pop the hood and try to look at the motor and see if everything is okay. I'm going to just go start the car. I'm not going to take the back seat out of my car to look at the battery. I don't have a battery tester that I'm going to use on the battery before I try to start my car. No, I know my car is going to start. And so I am going to act like my car is going to start. Faith is giving reality to what I know to be true. It is acting, knowing that it's real. In the book of Romans, faith is spoken of many different places. It's a very common word. Paul quotes the book of Habakkuk in saying that the, that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. I urge you to read that fifth chapter of the book of Romans on faith. Well, what was the word in the Hebrew for faith? The word that's being used is persuasion. I am persuaded. If I'm going to exercise faith, there has to come into my heart a reality. Now, I'm speaking here not about mental assent. I'm not talking about an intellectual agreement that what I'm saying is true. I'm talking about actually operating with the reality that it's true. My father used to tell this story. They put a great line across the falls at Niagara. And a man would walk across that tight line, that tight wire. And all the crowds were saying, this is wonderful. And so he brings out a wheelbarrow and he puts it on that line and he pushes the wheelbarrow across and he comes back and he says, does anybody believe I could I could do that again. Yes, we know you can do it. Well, then who would like to volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? Well, no one volunteered to get in the wheelbarrow. They believed intellectually that he could do it. But they did not believe in their spirit that he could do it. We Americans are great at giving intellectual assent to what we think is true. But the walk with Jesus Christ is not about mental assent to a body of information. It is beginning to step out and act as though this is reality. We always want to hold in our heart the caveat that it just might not be true. I believe it, but it might not be true. I'm not going to risk this. Because if I act like that, then I'm going to have to give up my sin. I'm going to have to allow God to come in and deal with my heart. I don't want to do that. So how about if I just mentally assent? Jesus, you're Lord. That doesn't work with Jesus. He's not looking for people to give him mental assent. He doesn't need your permission to be God. God can be God all by himself. He doesn't need me to get up in the morning and say, God, I agree, you're God. Now you can be God. Now He doesn't need my permission. He's God whether I exist or not. So now the question is, will I step into the reality that what God says is true? Will I simply take him at his word? I've had a very difficult time this week. I've had a very, very difficult time because I've been crying out to God about a whole number of things. I've been crying out to God about the radio broadcasts. I've been crying out to God about revival in America. I've been carrying such a burden on my heart. I've been crying out to God about my own coldness of heart. Saying, oh Lord, I got up this morning. I went into the prayer closet to begin crying out to the Lord again. And there was no burden on my heart. 
I said, why is there no burden on my heart? Nothing has changed that I'm aware of in the radio. Nothing has changed in revival. Is my, car, is my heart still cold? I couldn't sense any coldness in my heart. And that's when I began saying, Lord, have you left me? Is there sin in my life? And I spent some time in the prayer closet this morning trying to recapture the burden I've had all week so that I could move into prayer and intercession. And the burden was just not there. All I could do this morning was wait before him in silence and contain myself as I tried to praise him, just to worship him. The burden was gone. I heard the Lord begin to say to me, didn't you already ask me? I heard you. It's done. If it's done, why do I need to carry the burden anymore? Well, frankly, because I feel more comfortable when I'm carrying a burden. What do I do with lightness of spirit? What do I do with so much joy? What do I do with it? Something must be wrong. Everything's going right. Something must be wrong. I'm missing something somewhere. I better go search again. Joy in my heart. I'm praising his name. Thank you, Jesus. I want to share with you the scripture that I've been living with this week. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. I'll begin with verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now you understand he's saying this as he's ready to send them for 70 years into captivity. So don't get the idea this is a quick bless me scheme. He's saying, I'm going to send you into captivity for 70 years to suffer punishment for the wickedness of your heart. And at the end of the 70 years, I know what my plans are for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's the context of the passage that I'm to share with you today. But now let me read you the real passage. Then, that is, after the punishment of the Lord has been upon us. And what I'm going to share with you today will not make any sense to you if you have not felt the punishment of the Lord on you. If you haven't felt the punishment of the Lord on you, it's because you're steeped in your sin and you have not walked with Jesus Christ. Any of us who have come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ have had to face the reality of our sin, and we've had to deal with the hiddenness and the wickedness of our spirit. We have walked painfully in this fellowship under the disciplining hand of God. If you haven't done that yet, please quickly get into that place with the Lord and let him deal with you. How long you stay in that will depend on how stubborn your heart is. It does not need to be 70 years. It can be 70 days or 70 hours or even a shorter period of time if you're willing to move quickly through that rebellion and get in line with what the Lord God of heaven is calling you to. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Now the Lord has made a, a very simple promise. That if I cry to the Lord... He will hear me. If I cry to the Lord, he will hear me. If I confess my sin, he will hear me. So whatever the situation is that you're in right now, if you want God, all you need to do is get in your prayer closet 
and address him and cry out to him and search for him with all your heart and he will hear you. And when he hears you, he's going to bring you into his peace. Go back to Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 1. Therefore, Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Please try to understand what I'm going to say to you. There is a place of great comfort that God's people can move into, and it is a habit of constantly crying out to him about our sin. And then not believing that God has dealt with our sin so that we are in constant need of forgiveness, even though forgiveness has been offered for our sin. A place where we simply keep going around and around and around the same bush, believing that there is some merit before God with describing how bad we are. Instead of understanding that God has heard our prayer and then step into that place of peace that he has provided for us, believing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Now, I'm shy of saying this to you because most of us, if we have continued to cry out to God about our sin, have done so because we really don't want him to deal with our sin. It's easier to say, I'm sorry, intending to go do it again, than to come to the Lord God of heaven and ask him to simply remove this thing from my heart. And so, as a child, I was taught to pray, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And I was taught that we were all sinners. That was our state. We were sinners. And so we should always pray, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Well, that's not what Jesus Christ died on Calvary for. He didn't die so I could continue to always be a sinner. He died so I could be set free from sin, released from bondage, made into his image, having Jesus' character in me. But we've comforted ourselves by remaining in this place of perpetually beating ourselves up and always saying, no, I'm not really doing my best. No, I could do better somehow. And then we settle into a life of coldness, hardness of heart, of indulgence. So we can say, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing that, but God understands. I'll get it someday. You know, I shouldn't shouldn't be spending all my time doing this, but, you know, God understands. So we live always in this place of never being an overcomer because we don't want to release our sin. And secondly, When we really do want release, we can't believe and take Jesus at his word that we're released. I mean, what would we do without our burdens of sin? How could we survive without something to grumble about? How could we survive without calling ourselves all kinds of names? You know, you can call me any name you want. It won't hurt me because I've called myself all those names and many more besides. 
And my sense is that many of you today have been calling yourselves names as well and judging yourself, saying how dumb you are, how stupid you are, how clumsy you are, something. And the Lord's saying, stop, take me at my word. Step into that place of peace that I've offered to you. My blood is sufficient to cover your sin. You don't have to always be slipping and sliding, confessing and repenting and confessing, repenting and never gaining victory. The Lord God wants us to gain victory over every defilement. He wants to heal our bodies. And he wants to heal our spirits. He wants to heal our marriages. You know, what if you just started to act like you had the marriage you really want? Wouldn't that be a shock? If you just started acting like you have the marriage you want. And believe that Jesus had given it to you. And believe that Jesus had seen the brokenness. And he said, I've healed it. I mean, isn't there a place where we finally have to step by faith into what has been given to us, or we're operating in a charge against God that he's a liar? God is not a liar. Let God be proved true, and every man a liar. God is not a liar. So if he says it's done, it's done. It's finished. It's covered. It's cared for. I don't have to go back to it. The scriptures say the dog goes back to his vomit. The Christian does not. The Christian does not. Do you know when I'm most apt to go back to my old ways? When I'm hungry? When I'm tired, that's when I get caught. When I'm hungry or when I'm tired. And sometimes at night, when I'm very tired, I'll say to Jan, this is hopeless. And she's always wise enough to say, let's not make any charges. Let's not make any decisions tonight. Let's just go to bed. That's wisdom. Don't ever make a decision when you're hungry or tired. Except when you're going to go to bed and what you're going to eat. Let the rest go. Come into the presence of Jesus and believe that his word is true, that he's spoken to your heart. Now, do you understand today? The work of salvation is not our work. The work of redemption is not our work. The Lord wants us to understand that he will come and step in and change in the physical realm what's happening. I have to trust he'll do that. When I go out to my car and I turn that ignition, am I pouring electricity into my car so that it will start? No, all I'm doing is making the connection. The battery's pouring out the juice. And the starter is receiving it. When I say, Lord, I believe you, all I'm doing is turning on the key The power of God is flowing. The connection is being made. So it's not my power. Now I confess to you today, this was the question that started this National Prayer Chapel. I finally came to the conclusion and 
and the certain knowledge that I had no power to build the kingdom of God. And that if it was going to be built, Jesus had to build it. Now, the word says that, but I didn't believe that. And so for years as a pastor, I did it and said he did it. I can't operate like that in my life anymore. If it's going to be, it's up to Jesus. It's Jesus who heals our marriages. It's Jesus who heals our bodies. It's Jesus who heals our broken spirits. It's Jesus who lifts the burden and the load off our hearts. He has to do this supernaturally as an act of grace. That's why it's called grace. Grace means unmerited favor. In other words, you don't deserve it, but he's going to do it. He does it. We need to come into a place where we begin to identify and recognize the wondrous moving power of God to accomplish His purpose in our lives. We're not here trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way I can make this thing fit together? How am I going to do it? What do I have to do? Let's work harder on it. No! All I'm asked to do is to come and seek God with all my heart. That's my part. To come and seek God with all my heart. He says, if you'll come and seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Now, for some of us, that seeking has recently taken the form of, of fasting. For some, it takes some hours every day in the prayer closet. For some of us, it's meant taking places of abiding where we've recognized areas where the Lord has asked us to release things into his hand and to let go of things. And when we've released those things and let them go, he stepped in. Now, please let me be very specific the devil almost always comes into our life on cat's paws. The devil seldom rushes into our life. He usually comes quietly on cat's paws. If you please, the devil usually seeps into our life. And suddenly, he seeped in so much, we're even unconscious of it. But suddenly, we can no longer see and we can no longer hear. And slowly, he comes in more and more powerfully until finally he has a grip on us. And our behavior now is beginning to reflect his behavior. And our attitudes are now more like a wolf than a lamb. And we find ourselves yelling at our husband or wife or our friends. We find ourselves with a temper and angry and bitter. We find ourselves judgmental, the devil seeping into our hearts. And so the Holy Spirit comes to us and he says, if you'll cut that thing off, you'll cut off a place where Satan is seeping into your life. So for me, he said, cut the television off. Well, that was very painful for me because my life was in television, sports, and entertainment. I mean, I could preach the gospel, but let me get to my action flick. Well, that's where Satan was seeping into my life. And when I cut that off, I went through a time of withdrawal pain. Bitter withdrawal pain. But what I noticed was I felt a new aliveness in my heart toward God. So I had to check it out. 
I found that I was sitting down and reading the scriptures and I wasn't going to sleep. It was like technicolor was coming alive to me. So I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch an hour of television. And then I picked up the scriptures and I tried to read. I went to sleep. I said, "Uh uh-oh. The devil's seeping into my life through this. Lord, you're right. I'm cutting it off. It's over. It was over. Never have gone, I've never gone back. That's been a number of years ago. Well, then he does other things. I'll find myself checking the news on the Internet four or five times a day, inquiring mind. Want to know what's happening? Lord said, cut it off. I said, all right, Lord. There's nothing sinful about checking the news on the Internet. I cut it off. Suddenly I felt a surge in my soul of the presence of Jesus. I said, wait a minute. The devil was seeping into my life through this. So now I'm on this search. I want to find every area where Satan begins to seep into my life. And every area that I discover he's seeping into my life, I want to cut it off. Because I don't want the devil to seep into my life. I don't want him to have any avenue to come creeping into my life on cat's paws. If he's going to come at me, he's going to have to come like a roaring lion. Then I'll know to slam the door in his face. See, if the the devil comes at you like a roaring lion, you're just going to slam the door and lock it, and he's going to hit it, and it's in his face. But if he comes up like a cute little kitten, you're going to take time to pet him. And then you're going to say, are you hungry? How about some tuna? Why don't you come on the house? Here, let me feed you. Nice kitty. If the devil's going to come at me, let him come like a roaring lion. And then I'll know I've got to shove that shield up in his face. But don't come sneaking into my life unaware through my unconsciousness. I choose to take God at his word. His word is true and faithful. So now you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Are you going to take God at his word? Are you going to allow yourself the freedom to step into that place of quietness and peace with Jesus Christ, surrendering all of this nonsense that goes on out here and no longer stir up the drama? Are you willing to let go of being angry? Are you willing to let go of being bitter, judgmental? Are you willing to let go of getting the bit in your teeth and saying, I'm going to go do what I want to do? Are you willing to let God deal with your heart? And are you willing to let him bring peace into your life? Joy. Are you willing to let him rule over your spirit? Now, probably you've already identified this, but let me share it. There is one great barrier to everything I've said to you today. It's called pride. It's called pride. Okay, God, I'll have you, but I'll have you on my terms. I'll have you, Jesus, but let's do this my way. I need you to do this and this and this and this for me, Jesus. If you'll take care of those items, I'll be fine. You know, take care of the money. Take care of this. Take care of that. Jesus, you take care of that, and I'll trust you. This pride that rises up 
You see it in a man's walk. You see it in the way he carries himself. You see it in the way he answers and how he responds to others. Pride is so visible to everyone else but the one who is filled with it. And pride is the block. If you go into the prayer closet and the ceiling above you is like iron and there are no words to be prayed, know for certain that the issue you're dealing with is pride. If it's hard for you to pray, know that it's pride that makes it hard to pray. Always check pride first. You know, you get the directions for a piece of equipment, and you look at the troubleshooting page. The first thing it always says is, is it plugged in? (laughs) Is it plugged in? Well, with Jesus, the first thing the instructions say to check, is it pride? Is it pride? Pride in the way you look, pride in the way you live, pride in who you are, pride in your strength, pride in your intellect, pride in your the garden variety. And that pride is like a thistle. It throws off those seeds into every part of your life. That pride makes it hard for other people to deal with you. It makes you brittle, hard-edged, angry. Pride comes in many different varieties, many different colors. It doesn't care where it goes, but it will fit right in. Pride is the one thing in our lives that knows how to fit wherever we go. It knows how to hide just below the surface enough so that we appear to be all right, but pride is right there. It's the silent killer. It's the single greatest block to the anointing of the Holy Spirit that there is. In fact, If you've spent a lot of time this week beating yourself up, that was pride. Because you should have known better. Well, why should you have known better? Because you're so smart. That's pride. So today, are you willing to simply take God at his word? Are you willing to go into the prayer closet and cry out to the Lord and ask him to deal with your sin and ask him to cut away the burden of sin and to bring you into his peace? Are you willing to ask him to sanctify you wholly and completely through and through? And then are you willing to accept by faith that he has done what you've asked him to do? That he has sanctified you through and through? I've asked some of you, are you sanctified? I'm trying. What? Sanctification is not something you try to do. You don't try to become holy. You confess your sins before God, and He makes you holy. You confess your sins before God, and He sanctifies you holy. He takes away the sin. He washes away the dirt. You receive sanctification in the same way you received a new birth, by faith. Well, why can't I receive it, Pastor? Because you're filled with pride. So that's easily broken. We just go in the prayer closet and confess the pride. 
and ask Jesus to purge the pride from our life, and it's gone. Oh, we're so accustomed today to self-help processes. The blood of Jesus doesn't take a lot of time. The blood of Jesus just comes in and does the work. It's finished. It's affirmed by the Spirit. And we're brought into that place of peace and joy and rest. We no longer are beating ourselves up. We're no longer struggling. We're now resting in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that this may not take you some time in the prayer closet. It will take you time. Not because it takes God time, but because it takes us some time to get small enough to let God do what he's big enough to do. So why does it take me so long to get sanctified? Because I'm so big, it takes me time to get cut down to size so the Lord can do what he's promised me he would do. See, today the Lord wants to do a work in our hearts and our bodies. He wants to redeem us and transform us and make us into new creatures. Let's stop fighting that. Let's believe that he wants to do it and let him do what he's promised he will do. He'll put his finger on our money. We don't have to battle long over the money. Just go ahead and say, Jesus, I don't have any money anymore. It's your money. Now, you tell me how you want me to spend it. I won't spend it until you tell me. Jesus, you want my time? Okay, I give you my time. Jesus, you want my wife? My wife is yours, Jesus. You want my children? My children are yours, Jesus. Whatever you want, Jesus, it's yours. Oh, we can move through this very quickly. If we're not going to be rebellious of heart and filled with pride. So if you'll get to the pride issue first, all of these other things will be very quick in passing. It's the pride that takes so long. It's the pride that blocks the way. See, it's a narrow gate that we go through. And with a luggage suitcase packed full of pride, we can't get through the narrow gate. Some of you beat the narrow gate up pretty good trying to get through but you couldn't get through because you had a suitcase full of pride. If you just set the suitcase of pride down, you can go right on through. I pray this is good news for your heart today. We're not going to be sanctified by hard work. We're not going to be made holy by hard work. We're not going to be made into wonderful, loving people by going to therapy and struggling for years. We're not going to become like Christ by going to seminars on how to copy Jesus. It just takes going into the prayer closet and setting the baggage of pride down and agreeing with God in what he says about us and coming into faith in that thing, and saying, I believe you, Jesus. The work is yours. Now, if this is true, why do some of you look like you're sucking on lemons? Is it because the pride is so precious to you that you don't want to let it go? Am I speaking a word of of hardness to you because the pride is so precious, you don't want to let it go. You want the right to feel bad. You want the right to beat yourself up. You want the right to continue struggling over your sin because you surely know you can make it if you just get a fair shot. My brother, sister, you're not going to make it. We make it into the kingdom of God as a gift of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. So today, are you willing to cut off where the devil is seeping into your life? And today, are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Are you willing to receive his word for what it is and what it says?
Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of 
His glory with great joy With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory With great joy Presence of His glory with 